for us this morning. How many of you brought your Bible with you? We hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning. And let me ask you to join me now over in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter number 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'll tell you what page that is here in just a minute. Get all wired up here. All right. Luke, chapter number 1. Somebody help me with that. Somebody help. Somebody help me. 1,071, all right? Luke chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading here in the chapter in just a moment. Boy, it's hard to believe that Christmas is only 17 days away, and that is unbelievable. How many of y'all have already got your shopping all done, and you're ready for Christmas? Would you raise your hand right now? Can I say that I hate people like y'all? I mean... <laughs> Do you not? Do you not just hate people that are that well prepared? And and I am. Somebody said, "Are you through shopping yet? Is it the 24th at 12 o'clock midnight?" Of course, I'm not through with my shopping yet. But anyway, I'm glad you're. Boy, sit back and enjoy then. For those of you that are finished, and leave the sweating and the worrying and the fretting up to people like me that waits till the last minute to do anything. But anyway, boy, I'm glad I didn't wait till the last minute to get saved. I'm glad I got saved early on, amen, and uh, praise the Lord for that. All right, Luke chapter 1. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. By the way, Brother Hersham and Miss Priscilla is here with their little baby boy this morning. I think maybe this is the first time that uh, Miss Priscilla and the baby have been back with us since he's been born, and so uh, you may want to check him out over here right after service today. He is a beautiful little boy. All right. Luke chapter number 1. Well, look this way if you will. You know, if you think back to last Sunday morning, then you may recall that I told you that in the Sunday morning services leading up uh, to Christmas that I was going to be preaching on the subject of Christmasology. Christmasology. Now, I've got to confess again that I made that word up. That is not a real word, but it stands the reason that Christmas is a subject that ought to be near and dear to the heart of every child of God. Now, if you look at that word up there, any time you see that suffix on the end of the word, uh, end of any word, ology, uh, that that word ology always simply means the study of a certain subject. So, when I talk about Christmasology, I am talking about the study of the subject of Christmas. We hear a lot in our day about meteorology, the study of weather, or uh, geology, the study of the earth. Well, I'm preaching on Christmasology, the study of Christmas. Now, let me tell you something about Christmas. The, uh, the who and the why is far more important than the when and the where of Christmas. But it is an important subject for every child of God. Christmasology, the study of Christmas. Now, when I say the study of Christmas, I'm not talking about the secular side of it. I mean, to me, it's not about reindeer, snowmen, and elves. No, sir, I'm talking about the biblical, scriptural side of Christmas, what Christmas is really all about. So last week, we began our study, our series of messages on Christmasology by talking a little bit about the genealogy, the genealogy of Christmas. So last week what we did is we started where the Bible starts with the Christmas story. And we started talking about the family history of the Lord Jesus. We took a look at his family tree. By the way, we sure learned a lot. 
because Jesus' family is just as messed up as our family is. Amen? I mean, everybody's got family, right? And the one thing we learned last week about the family tree of Jesus, just like my family tree, it is full of scandal and full of deceit and full of guilt, and yet it could be and can be full of grace. You see, all those bad people that we talked about last week that are mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, all of those people made it into the family, uh, family tree of Jesus, and they got in the same way we get in, totally by the grace of God. Oh, yeah, our tree may be full of grief. It may be full of guilt. And it may be full of shame, but it can be full of the grace of God. The only way anybody gets into the family of Jesus is by the grace of God. Can I have an amen? Well, this morning now, we're going to take this a step further. We continue now our study of Christmasology. And this morning, I don't want to talk about the genealogy of Christmas. This morning, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the biology of Christmas, the biology of Christmas. Now, biology is the study of life, especially when it comes to its origin, how life begins. And let me tell you something, when it comes to the beginning of the Lord Jesus, and let me clarify this, when I talk about His beginning, you and I know, those of us that know the Bible, know that Jesus always existed. There's never been a time when there wasn't Jesus. Amen. I mean, back in Genesis chapter 1, it's alluded to when God continually said, let us do this, let us do that. Of course, that us indicates in the plural sense, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Back in Genesis, in the creative process and acts of, of God. So Jesus... Jesus has always been. But as far as his earthly, his earthly beginnings, we understand that he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. i got to tell you this. Jesus Christ was born unlike any other human being has ever been born. Nobody in this room can stand up and say that I was born exactly like Jesus was. Absolutely nobody. In fact, as you go through the Bible, as you go through the Bible, you'll find out there are four different ways that people acquired their body as you move through the Bible. For instance, you know, there's one person in our Bible who got his body without the benefit of a man or a woman. Now I'm talking about Adam there. You see, the Bible says that God, uh, God, Genesis 2, verse number 7, the Lord God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So man or woman had nothing to do with Adam acquiring his body. It was totally the work of Almighty God. God, Adam got his body without the benefit of a man or a woman. But then in the Bible, we also learn about how one person got their body uh, with a man and without a woman. Now I'm talking about Eve. Because the Bible said that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while Adam was sleeping, God removed from Adam a rib. And from that rib, God made a woman by the name of Eve. She got her body with, with a man and without the benefit of a woman. But then as we move to the Bible, we find out that there are people who got their body in the Bible just like we got our body. And that was with a woman by a man. 
with a woman. By everybody in this room this morning got our body the same way. And that is, your mom and your daddy came together in, in the marital relationship. And out of that natural process of the marital relationship, we got our bodies this morning. You got your body like that, and I got my body like that as well. But there is one person and only one person in the history of all of humanity who got his body by a woman without a man. Now, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ was and is and forever shall be the virgin-born Son of the living God. Now, brother, I'm telling you something. Around here, that is not up for debate. That is foundation, biblical, scriptural foundation. Jesus was born of a virgin. So this morning, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the biology of Christmas. Now, I want to stop before we go any further about this. I want to stop. I want to read to you about what the Bible says happened in order for Jesus to get his body. Now, let's begin Luke chapter 1, verse 26, all right? Here's what the Bible said. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen or look on the, uh, someone there sitting with you. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, we know that this angel's name is Gabriel. Verse 27, the Bible said that this angel was sent to a virgin. A virgin. Say that with me. A virgin espoused to a man. That is, they were betrothed together to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou. And if you have a King James Bible, and I hope you do, would you circle the word among women? Now, it's, the word is not above women, but among women. So in other words, out of all the women on the earth today, you're highly favored among all these women, not above them. That's where our, uh, the Catholic Church, get, they, they mess up right here. Because she's not above women, she's among women. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 29, And when she saw him, when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was troubled by the message of the angel. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for, for thou hast found favor with God. Can I stop and say, I am glad I have found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. But now Mary has a question about all this. So look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. So not only does the Word of God said that she was a virgin, but now she's testifying herself to her own chaste and purity. She said, I don't understand, uh, Mr. Angel. How in the world can this happen to me? I have never known a man. Look at verse number 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost 
shall come upon, uh, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Can I stop and say, if you'll go get your Strong's Concordance, and I did this this morning, and look up the word overshadow. It means to envelop in a brilliant haze. Now, I think, and I won't argue with you, and I hope you won't argue with me, but I personally think what happened to Mary was that that Shekinah cloud of glory overcame her and placed with inside the confines of the womb of Mary the seed of the Holy God. Now, read, read on. Look at verse 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest, and then here's that word, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she, al she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said... Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, we're talking this morning about the biology of Christmas, Christmasology. Let me just talk a little bit about the, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The virgin birth. Let's talk about what the Bible says about the biology of Christmas, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. First of all, let's talk, number one, this morning from this text about the reality, the reality of the virgin birth, the reality of that. Now, I, I know and I'm well aware, just like you are, that right up there with the bodily resurrection of our Savior, 72 hours after his death, the virgin birth of our Savior has been scoffed at, it has been ridiculed, it has been maligned throughout the course of time. I mean second only to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The virgin birth of Jesus has been denied, it has been dismissed, and it has been doubted. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Larry King? Have you ever heard of that name before? Larry King, who for 25 years hosted the CNN talk show Larry King Live. He was once asked who he would have most liked to have interviewed from all across human history. And Larry King, without even thinking, said, Jesus Christ. I would have loved to have interviewed Jesus Christ. You see, Larry King, this is not a known fact about him, but Larry King was a Jew. His name was Lawrence Harvey Zeiger. His mother and his father both were devout Orthodox Jews, and being raised up in a family like that, no doubt Larry King has heard of the Lord Jesus. Well, when he was asked, who do you want to most interview? He said, hey, without even thinking, I'd like to talk. I'd like to interview Jesus Christ. But then he was asked a follow-up question to that, and the follow-up question was this. Hey, what one question would you most like to ask him? And here's what Larry King said. I would like most to ask him, were you indeed born of a virgin? Because the answer to that one question would define human history. Well, can I just stop and say this morning that an interview with the Lord Jesus along those lines is totally unnecessary because you and I have one of the greatest witnesses of all, uh, all time, the Word of God, and the Word of God declares unequivocally, without any hesitation or reservation, that Jesus Christ was indeed born of a virgin. Now you say, preacher, what kind of a preacher are you? I'm a preacher who believes that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now I'm going to tell you something, all through the Word of God, we've run into this fact 
this truth that Jesus, God's Son, would be brought into the world through the vehicle of a virgin's womb. We run into that one truth throughout the Bible. Can I tell you this? We barely read 70 verses in our Bible, and God already drops a hint that His Son, the Lord Jesus, would be born of a virgin. Seventy verses in, God already says, hey, let me give you a little clue. My son will be born of a virgin. Let me read you that verse. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Here we are, 70 verses into our Bible now, and God said in Genesis 3, 15, and I will put enmity, enmity between thee and the woman. Now, he's talking to the serpent. The serpent has been entered into by the person of Lucifer or Satan. He is now beguiled. He's deceived Eve and Adam both have now transgressed against the law of God. And God, as a punishment to this serpent, says to him, I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and the seed of the woman. And the Bible says, It, speaking of the seed of the, uh, of the woman, shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, notice, if you will, God didn't say, I'm going to put enmity between thy seed, Satan, the seed of you, and the seed of a man. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and the seed of the woman. Now, I challenge you, when you move through the Bible, you're going to find this phrase over and over again, the seed of man, the seed of man, the seed of man. is found throughout the Word of God numerous, hundreds and hundreds of times. But here we read that God said, when I bring the one in who's going to crush the head of the serpent, it will be the seed of the woman. God is dropping a hint that his son would come into the world through a virgin's womb. Then we have this great prophecy, Isaiah 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, a virgin shall, and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. We cross over into the New Testament and we have in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18 these words. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, in his, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Now read the next words with me. Before they came together. So she's still a virgin. And the Bible said they were in that espousal period of the marital relationship. The marital relationship had not been climaxed, consummated in the coming together of the bride and his groom and her groom. It had not happened yet before they came together. The Bible said she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then look at this verse. Boy, this really clues us in on it. Look at this Galatians 4, 4 verse. Watch this verse now. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son by a woman. Does that verse say that? It doesn't say by a woman, does it? It says made of a woman, made under the law. You know what God has testified? God is telling us, testifying to us of the fact my son is going to be the supernaturally conceived, virgin-born son of the living God. Now, let me tell you something. We have our text this morning, the Luke verses that I've just read to you this morning about how all this came to pass. I'll remind you, Dr. Luke, the writer of these verses, was a physician. 
Now, you would think anybody, he had probably delivered countless numbers of babies during his lifetime as a physician. He was a doctor. He was well-versed in how children come into the world. I mean, if anybody knew it, a doctor would know what he was talking about. And Dr. Luke, a physician, testifies of the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I take the word of the doctor. Amen. And not only was he a physician... He was also a historian. If you look back at the beginning of this chapter, look at verse number 1. Uh, Luke says this, For as many as, as have taken in hand to set forth an order of de a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. He tells us this, Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me, also having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things whereas thou hast been instructed. Luke said, how will it tell you? I'm a physician. Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God, but I'm also a historian, and I'm telling you as a matter of historical record, Jesus is the virgin-born Son of the living God. I'm just talking to you about the reality of the virgin birth. Jesus Christ was indeed born of a virgin. I know you're probably sitting there, preacher, why are you making such a big fuss? All right, let's move second. Not only about the reality of the virgin birth, but let's, number two, talk about, talk about this. Let's talk about the necessity of the virgin birth. The necessity of the virgin birth. Now, i got to tell you something about the virgin birth of Jesus. It is one of the fundamentals of our faith. The virgin birth. I'm talking about something that is not up for debate, it's not up for discussion. It's not up for dialogue. The, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a fundamental of our faith. It is one of the pillars upon which the faith rests upon. Now, I'm sure most of you in here, if not all of you, have at one time or another played a game called Jenga. How many of you have ever played Jenga before? Would you raise your hand? I've got to see how much I need to describe about this game. Let me tell you what Jenga is. Many of you have not played it. Where have you been all your life? Jenga is that game that's made up of, of little, this little old bitty blocks of wood. They're about that wide and probably about that high. And, and, and you pile them together. You set three this way and then three this way and then three that way. And if I'm right, I think I'm right about it, it forms a structure 18 stories high. And then the object of the game then is for people to start removing a block at a time. I mean, remove the block, and the one who pulls the final block and the house comes falling down, the structure comes falling down, is the loser of the game. Now, if you've played that game before, I think you'll understand what I'm saying when I say absolutely some of those little pieces of wood are non-essential to the structure standing. You can tap them and then pull them from the other side out in the middle, or you can take one from the side and pull it out or pull it out from the side, however you want to do that, but I think you, you get it when I say, you know, some of those, some of those blocks of wood are non-essential for that structure to remain standing. But then I think as you get further into the game, you start realizing that thing starts wobbling just a little bit. You come to realize, boy, there's some of these little blocks of wood that this structure is resting upon, and if they be removed, the whole structure will come falling down. 
Can I tell you something this morning? That's what the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus is. It is an essential block in the structure of our faith. And if you try to remove that block of the structure of our faith, the whole structure is going to come crashing down. I'm telling you, the virgin birth of Jesus is not only a reality, it is a divine necessity for you and me to be saved this morning. Now, why is it so important? Why is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ a necessity? Well, really there's a couple of answers to that. First of all, it is a necessity, number one, because of the two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had to be born in the, in, in, as, as a, 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 to a virgin and enter into the world through a virgin's birth simply because he was going to take upon himself the two natures, the nature of humanity and the nature of deity. You see, as the nature of humanity, Jesus had to come as a human in order to be able to identify with the needs of humanity. Aren't you glad that we have a sympathetic Savior who identifies with how we feel? That's the reason when somebody says to you, well, nobody, or somebody says, nobody knows how I feel. That's not right. Jesus knows how you feel. He came into the world as a purely human being, and as a human being, he identified with every hurt, every heartache, every tear, every, every situation you and I could ever go through. Jesus went through that in order to identify with how you and I feel. That's the reason the Bible says we have not a Savior which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He knows how we feel. He does, because he was purely human. Oh, but can I tell you this? He was also purely God. <laughs> yes, sir. He was the God-man. Now, don't get it in your mind. Jesus was 50% man and 50% God, because you're dead wrong. Jesus was not 50% man and 50% God. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Amen. He was the god Man, You see, as a man, he identified with all the hurts and all the heartaches, but as God, he had the power and the ability to meet the needs of all of humanity. He was Jesus, the God-man. He was God, yet he was man. I'm telling you, the virgin birth was a necessity because he was taken upon himself the two natures, the human nature as well as the divine nature. But can I say, secondly, the virgin birth was important in order for Jesus to live a sinless life. Now stop and stay with me. You know, we're told in the Bible that we receive our sin nature from our fathers. That sin nature is handed down from one generation to the next generation via our father. Now I know right now you're holding those little babies Brother Hirsch and Miss Priscilla and, and, and many of you others have got those precious little bundles of joy. And they are that until about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I know you think they're perfect in every way. But can I tell you something? One of these days, and I love you, and I'm not meaning to hurt you. Of course they're perfect to you. And they ought to be perfect to you. Can I tell you something? That little angel that's got the wings on his back, one day is going to sprout some horns. And, and the true nature of that little baby is going to come bursting forth. I mean, you don't have to teach a little baby to lie. It's inherited. They know how to do it. 
You ever had a little baby start crying, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, like, oh, God, if somebody don't help me, I'm leaving this world right now. And, I mean, they're screaming bloody murder. You get up, stump your toe, going in there, break your toe. Oh, my goodness. You stagger in there, cut the light on that little baby. All at once stops crying and starts going. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That little baby's full of the devil. That's what that little baby's full of. Oh, what about this? It's like, you know, they're screaming, Oh, God, you've got to help me. I've got to have help. You've got to... And you stick that bottle in their mouth, and it's all over. They're lying to you. They're talking like, Man, I can't make it. I'm done. It's over. Cut the, cut the lights out. Shut the door. Stick the fork in me. I'm done. And next thing you know, they're fine. What are they doing? They're lying to you. I raised three. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They're lying to you. Can I tell you where they got that from? The daddy. But Jesus, being born of a virgin, no earthly man had anything to do with the birth of Jesus. That sinful nature was not handed down from a father to a son. I'm telling you, he had the holy nature of God Almighty. And that ordered him, that enabled him to live a perfect, a perfect life. The Lord Jesus received not a sinful nature from an earthly man. He received a divine nature from a heavenly Father. That's why Jesus could die on Calvary as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That's the reason we read these words right here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Now read these next words. Who knew no sin? He's the perfect Savior. He's without sin, totally innocent. He never had to apologize for something that he said. He never had a bad thought. He never had to go to somebody and say, I've done you wrong. He never had to say, I've lied. He never had to say, I let you down. He knew no sin. Why? I'll tell you why. He was born of a virgin and received the divine nature of his heavenly Father. God made him sin, to be sin, made him sin for us. So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus had to be made sin because he knew no sin. And the reason that God allowed that to happen is so that we might be made the righteousness of God, that we might be made right in the sight of God because Jesus took upon himself our sin because he knew no sin. I'm telling you, man, it was a divine necessity that Jesus be born of a virgin. Let me say it like this. Jesus became what we are in order that we might become what he is. Or let me better say it like this. The Son of God become the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Yes, sir. It was a divine necessity, the reality of the virgin birth, the necessity of of the virgin birth. But can I close by talking a little bit about this, the animosity of the virgin birth. I told you a moment ago that no other doctrine regarding the Lord Jesus, maybe than his resurrection, has received so much hatred and animosity as the virgin birth of our Savior. So many doubt, deny, and dismiss the record of the Scripture when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus. They say to us, it is totally preposterous for anybody to believe that anybody can be born of a virgin. And you know something from the purely human standpoint? They're right. I mean, looking at it through, uh, purely through the eyes of a human, there's no way that a virgin can give birth to a, to a child. We know that conception takes place. 
when the woman who provides the egg, and that egg is fertilized from the male, a conception takes place. So now wait a minute. If we've got a virgin, we may have an egg, but there's no fertilization to that egg. So how in the world can a conception take place? How, in the words of Mary, can these things be? You know, our Bible is filled with some miraculous births throughout the Bible. I mean, you can't help but miss this. I mean, throughout the Word of God, there are some miraculous... What about Abraham and Sarah? She's 90 years old. He's 100 years old. The hands of their biological clocks have not just ceased to move. They have fallen off. 90 years old. She's 90. He's 100. There's no way. But God touched them. And when you factor God into that equation, there ain't no telling what might happen. There's a lady in our, in our Bible named Hannah. She had a husband. His name was Elkanah. He had two wives. There was Hannah and Paniah. And uh, Paniah and Elkanah had children. But there was some biological reason, for some biological reason, Hannah could not give birth to a child. She just couldn't do it. Is there anything more frustrating to a, to a husband and a wife who wants to have children, and yet month after month after month, it's always a negative sign on the EPT test? Is there anything more frustrating than that for a husband? And I feel my heart goes out to people who struggle and, and, and they cry and they beg and they plead, and yet for some reason they can't give... Well, that was Hannah's case. But then God entered the picture. And when she went to the house of God and poured her heart out to God, God touched her and gave her conception. Did you realize in our chapter, Luke chapter 1, I had you to open your Bible there this morning, there's not just one miracle birth, there's two miracle births in this chapter. I'm talking about the miracle of the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's birth was a miracle. Look over at verse number 7. We're told that Zacharias and Elizabeth, they had for years tried to have children. They could produce no seed. And the Bible said there in verse number 7, they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. For some biological reason, Miss Elizabeth, Elizabeth in our text, could not, could not conceive. So the Bible said in verse number 7, they were both well, they, they both were now well stricken in years. And yet in our text this morning, I just read to you where God tells Mary, hey, don't worry about it. Let me tell you, cousin Elizabeth, she's already six months down the road further than you are. She is going to have a child. Now, wait a minute. They were barren. They were old. How could they have a child? God did it. Amen. You say, preacher, but wait a minute. You keep telling us that. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elkanah, Hannah. Abraham, Sarah. There's always a man and a woman. Now, you expect me to believe that a woman alone can produce a child. How, preacher? How? I got the answer. You didn't even know you was coming to church to hear this this morning. I found the answer. Look at verse 37. Here's the answer. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You say, preacher, from the purely human standpoint, can't happen. Guess what? I agree with you. But, buddy, when you get God factored into the situation, for with God nothing shall be impossible. I have no trouble believing it. You know why? Man, God can do anything God wants to do. 
And when you bring God, look, God don't fit in our, under our little test tube microscopes. You can't put God in a box. God is too great, too mighty. God is too big for you and I to try to understand him. All I know is God said, hey, I'm going to get involved in the situation. The power of the high shall overshadow thee. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And he's going to place within inside of you that holy thing which shall be called the son of the highest. God did it. <laughs> can, you marry, can you imagine Mary, 14 years old? She's morning sickness. She doesn't even know a man. She goes up to Joseph, says, Honey, I hate to tell I know we're, we're just a spouse now, kind of like similar to our engagement period, but it was more contractually binding than the spousal part. They were actually married. They just hadn't come together yet as a husband and wife. Can you imagine going to her, Honey, I hate to tell you this, I'm pregnant. Talking to Joseph. I, honey, I, this, I'm pregnant. And he says, I'm going to put you away. She said, No, honey, you don't understand. God did this. God did this. For with nothing, for with God, nothing. Can I tell you something? For with God, you've not gone too far for God to save you. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You say, preacher, my marriage is a wreck. I don't even think we're going to be able to make it till Christmas. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You say, preacher, I'll tell you what, I'm addicted to this. I'm in bondage to that. For with God, nothing if God can give conception to a woman that does not know a man, there is nothing too hard for our God to do. Absolutely nothing. I heard about these two doctors one time, and uh, one was a believer, the other was not a believer. And I want you to listen to this story. I'm almost done. One was a believer, the other was not a believer. And so this one doctor who wasn't a believer looked at the doctor who was a believer and said this, so you mean to tell me they were discussing the virgin birth. You mean to tell me that if a woman came into this hospital and gave birth to a baby and then she told you she was a virgin, you would believe it? And here's what the Christian doctor said. He said, if her baby grew in favor with God and man, if her baby healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, if her baby walked on water, fed the multitudes, died and rose again, yes, sir, I'd believe it. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Yes, sir, I believe it. Amen. Jesus Christ, the biology of Christmas. I understand this. This doesn't happen anymore. But back in the days of the pioneers, when, when settlers were moving out west, you know, winters up north and out on the plains are very brutal. They're howling winds, the brutal cold, the blinding snow, and the blizzards. And, uh, and these blizz it made life very treacherous and dangerous for these pioneers in those early days. I have read the story, maybe you've before, but many times these pioneers cannot even venture more than just a few feet away from their front door during these times of these blizzards and these storms, and they would get disoriented. There are documented cases of where settlers were found frozen to death in snowbanks just a few yards from their front door. They would get out there in those white-out conditions, the wind blowing so hard, in just a matter of a few seconds, they'd become disoriented about which way was back to the house. And they would literally die, freeze to death, and they would find them in snowbanks just a few feet away from their front door. But there was a dilemma. And the dilemma was this. Even in the times of the blizzards, their livestock still had to be fed in the barn. They still had to get water to them. No farmer worth his salt would be willing to let his livestock die in the time of, the, of these blizzards, no, no, no farmer would be willing to let his livestock starve to death. 
So in those days, what they would do is, before a storm would hit, they would tie a rope from the front door of their house to the front door of the barn. They would secure it as fast as they, and as tight as they possibly could. And when these terrible storms would hit, they would literally use that rope as a lifeline from the house to the barn and from the barn back to the house. Inch by inch, they would crawl, them, crawl their way through the, through the piling snow and the, the, the howling winds and the whiteout conditions. They knew as long as they could hang on to that rope, they would make it to the barn and then they would make it back to the house. It was their lifeline. Can I tell you what the virgin birth of Jesus is? The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is our lifeline. It really is. The virgin birth of Christ allowed the Lord Jesus to die a vicarious death, to rise in a victorious resurrection, and to give us our lifeline from the barn to the house. Or let me close by saying it like this. If Jesus was born of a virgin, and he was, can I tell you this? It does you absolutely no good whatsoever unless that baby who was born of a virgin has been born into your heart. Hey, you say, I believe that, preacher. I believe Jesus was born. Can I ask you a question? Has he ever been born in your heart? That's all that matters this Christmas season is if the babe of Bethlehem has become born in your heart. Do you know him today? Christmas biology. Let's pray. Father.